Good morning. It's good to see you all on the second Sunday of Epiphany, a brisk uh, January morning. I noticed as I was watching many of you walk in um, the front door, no, no one was lingering outside. We were all walking with intention and purpose <laughs> to the building, so it's good to be together uh, this morning. And good to begin the year with um, a, a good book uh, by Diana Butler Bass on freeing Jesus. Um, I, many of you I know have uh, copies or reading along or in a small group um, for conversation together. I hope others uh, will, will join us in that. It's a great way to begin the year as we think some about who Jesus is, um, what his life means for ours, uh, and how his witness shapes uh, the witness of the church. In this brief little, what may seem like obscure passage uh, from Luke's gospel, there is a word of caution here to people of faith. Um, and that word of caution is God and God's hope and dream for the world, which Jesus preached and taught and lived, cannot be limited to our agendas, our plans, and our desires. Nor can God and God's hope and dream for the world be contained or defined by our religious systems and traditions, um, especially in a, in a way that we could then say to others, well, that doesn't, um, that doesn't fit within the system, therefore it must not be of God. Jesus and the hope and dream of God which he brings are more than we can, can see or know or imagine. God's love, God's justice, and God's welcome embodied in Jesus of Nazareth are more expansive and encompassing than we can comprehend or that oftentimes we will allow. There's always a danger that the way we understand Jesus and what we see and teach about Jesus is a projection of ourselves and our, our own just our own desires, agendas, wishes. Always the risk that, in Luke's words, we expect Jesus to dance to the tune of our flute. That's what that bit means, in case you're wondering. And so it matters what we believe and teach about Jesus, because what we teach and believe about Jesus um, in the church, we call that doctrine, um, that shapes how we live together as church, how we understand our mission to, to serve the world, how we are to love others. <clears throat> Diana Butler Bass notes in Freeing Jesus that in the 90s, uh, the time of uh, when I was coming through seminary at Duke, um, the debates about who Jesus is centered primarily on um, the supposed difference between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith. In other words, uh, theologians, scholars, others were asking the question, is there some way to objectively and without filters and, and lenses know the Jesus who lived and died apart from our understandings of Christ? Uh, which were, the critics claimed, um, mostly a creation of the early church. So in other words, could you separate all the, all, out all the churchy stuff about Christ and get back somehow to the real Jesus? 
Well, the intent seems reasonable, admirable. There, however, there are all sorts of problems and pitfalls with approaching the question this way. Not the least of which is, is that the idea itself that you can somehow get back to the real Jesus of history apart from any lenses through which we might see him is in of itself a lens through which we are viewing Jesus. You see how that works? Um, the idea that we can do that is in and of itself uh, a lens through which we're viewing the problem or the question. Now, it, that said, uh, I get it. Uh, Folks wanted, had a desire for an authentic encounter with Jesus. This amazing man whose amazing life and witness changed the world. Folks want to know him, experience him for who he is. Unfortunately, in addition to these kinds of conversations, there's also in the church this very ugly history uh, within the Christian faith where in our attempts to secure a position, to win an argument or debate, to prove our side's rightness, to sort of uh, secure our tribe, uh, maybe even to make God more manageable, comprehensible, even controllable. Uh, We've created all kinds of Jesuses. There's Methodist Jesus. There's Baptist Jesus. Some of you grew up knowing him. There's Catholic Jesus. Others of you grew up knowing him. I observed that last week when we did baptism of the Lord and the number of you who crossed yourself when you came to the baptismal font. I was like, ah, there's not, that's not a Baptist. <laughs> that's a good thing. I'm okay with that. Don't worry. Keep doing it. It's a good reminder, a way to remember physically who you are and to whom you belong. But Methodist Jesus, Baptist Jesus, Catholic Jesus, um, liturgical Jesus, evangelical Jesus, and in our own denomination we currently see the fight between the the traditional Jesus and the progressive Jesus, as we all, in some ways, continue to make Jesus in our image. Uh, Friends, this is one of the reasons folks leave church or don't come back to church. It's why so many young adults, in particular, want nothing to do with the church. It's why people will say things like, I'm spiritual but not religious, or I love Jesus but not the church. Um, It's why even in the U.S., one in five, only one in five people attend a religious service on a regular basis. One in five. Um, People who come hoping for an authentic encounter with Jesus um, often often leave or don't come back or find themselves frustrated because the Jesus they meet is all bound up in all sorts of religious and denominational and cultural baggage. The truth is, and this is to the point of Diana Butler Bass's wonderful little book, we can never really know Jesus in the classroom, uh, at seminary, through the books, all of those things are important. And lots of folks spend a lot of their time and energy with them, and I'm grateful for that. But we cannot know Jesus apart from a willingness to have a relationship, to make some kind of commitment to follow him, however imperfectly. There's this wonderful scene in John's Gospel where um, some followers, uh, would-be followers, came to find Jesus to get to know him a bit, to maybe start a relationship. They, 
They, they ask where he is, and Jesus replies to them, some of you will remember this, not with a theological treatise, uh, not with a quote from Scripture, and not with, uh, by pointing to some tradition of the community of faith, but his response simply is, come and see. Come and see. Uh, if you want to know what this is all about, if you... If you want to learn of the kingdom, if you want to know who I, Jesus, am, discover God's hope and dream for your life, experience the love of God for yourself, learn how to love as God loves, then come and see. Begin the journey. Take a step. Come, Jesus says, spend some time with me. Walk with me. Listen to me. Get to know me. Abide with me. And I'll show you the way, the truth, and the life. This is in part because Jesus is not a mere image um, to be enshrined in stained glass, nor is he simply an idea to be debated in theology or seminary classrooms. There's a time and place for all those things. But Jesus is a person alive and among us who wants to be known like any other person, who, who loves us wants to be in relationship. And like all relationships, it takes time and effort and energy and attention, demands something of us. It requires a little vulnerability that we take the risk, that we're open to the relationship changing us. We see this with the Apostle Paul, who, remember his Damascus Road experience of the risen Christ? Um, Paul asks, who are you, Lord? Not what or how or why, but who? The relational question. Uh, Paul wants to get to know this person who's confronted him, whom he's encountered on his way. Um, to know who is an invitation into a relationship that, if we allow it, will make us different. Uh, it's the question you ask when you meet someone. You want to know who. Who are you? As a person. The problem that Diana Butler Bass identifies in freeing Jesus is our tendency to want to skip past the work of relationship and reduce Jesus to something more manageable and controllable that we can wrap our heads around a bit, reduce Jesus to a useful tool that I can use when my side is trying to make a point in the argument or to get my way and whatever it is I'm trying to get my way. And when we do this, Bass says, we miss relationship. And when we miss relationship uh, with the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, we actually miss Jesus. We may have some experience of uh, something we've created and called Jesus, but we've missed a life-changing encounter with Jesus for who he is. So Bastin asks, what happens when we free Jesus from all the stuff? When we pull away the stained glass and the trappings of religious faith, um, the traditions, the institutional stuff, the, uh, the, the, the systems, all that we've created and layered over Jesus, what happens when all of that is gone and we experience Jesus fully and freely for who he is. Now, of course, there's some things that we say about Jesus that don't change. There's some, some essentials to our faith that we've, we, we, 
that the saints have given us and that we've, we've found wisdom in them. Those we hang on to. But we do change, as Bass points out. So the Jesus maybe you knew in Sunday school as a child is probably different from the one you encounter and experience today for those of you who are now adults and a little older and more wise. Um, we, Jesus doesn't, but we change. And so our experience of him changes over time as he comes to us again and again and again to give us what we need so that we can be in relationship. So it's, hear me, it's not about setting Jesus free. Jesus is free, y'all. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, Jesus is free to be who he will be. It's really about freeing ourselves so that we can then experience him in relationship for who he is. And Bass notes that when this has happened for her, she's met Jesus in a variety of ways. As friend, teacher, Savior, Lord, way, presence. And maybe you've experienced Jesus in others, but over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on those. And today, in this little obscure passage from Luke, we, we meet Jesus as friend. Friend. Now, she quickly acknowledges that the idea of God as our friend is often mocked or dismissed as childish by those who, who think we should have a more sophisticated, mature view of Jesus. Maybe that was great for, you know, when we, when we were a child in Sunday school class and we, we needed that image, but now when we're all grown up, we need something more. And Bass says, absolutely not. Scripture does not shy away from the language of friend or friendship as a way of describing and understanding our relationship with God. It, it's right there in the text this morning. Uh, even more, Abraham and Moses were referred to in the Old Testament as friends of God. In the beginning, remember, God walks in the garden with humanity, with Adam and Eve, in mutual delight, like friends would walk along the beach or, or go on a hike together, enjoying one another's company. That's the image there that you should cling to of the garden and God present with the first of humanity. It's Scripture's way of saying, this is how God wants to be in relationship with you, closer than your closest friend. And of course, Jesus, as the embodiment of God's love, Jesus as God in the flesh, first thing he does, gathers around himself a community of friends. Doesn't go it alone. He's not a lone ranger. He has friends, companions. Uh, they laugh together. They cry together. They share meals together. They do what friends do. Again, Scripture's way of saying this is the relationship that God wants to have with you, with us. As Bass notes, Jesus brought his followers to the very heart of God. And then Jesus revealed that God's heart longed for friendship. And as children of Israel, the first disciples, they had heard all of this before. It wasn't new to them. They knew that Abraham and Moses and Miriam were friends of God. They knew that the prophets and the saints of their faith were considered friends of God. 
They, they knew that Esther and Ruth and Naomi and David and Jonathan were all thought of as having friendship with God, a close and intimate union with God. They knew that they were more than servants. God was their friend, and they were friends of God. Servanthood, while a good thing, an admirable thing, is, Scripture says, the lesser thing. God is always hoping that we'll move from a posture of, of, of serving God out of obedience to serving God out of love, out of friendship. Friendship or the knowing, loving, and, and free, joyful giving to another person is the passionate desire of God. And now here is Jesus, God in the flesh, saying to his followers, I've called you friends. And I've said this not just to the special, religious, faithful, saintly people, those you remember of old, like Abraham and Moses and Miriam, but I'm saying it to you, to fishermen, to tax collectors, to sinners, even to the women, as scandalous as that was. <laughs> I've called you friends. In Jesus, God reaches toward us, not as a fearsome master or judge, but as a friend hoping that we'll reach back. It's an amazing gift. Now, of course, you know the thing about friendship is that it's risky. With true friendship, you can't control where the relationship might go. We don't get to define Jesus. Jesus is free already. Our relationship with him defines us, and that relationship is an adventure that we travel together and that will change us. The disciples and the, and the women who were with Jesus as his first friends, they knew that. It had turned their lives upside down. It had also freed them from fear. It had opened their hearts to a, a new capacity to love and to forgive and to act justly in the world. Their friendship with Jesus also brought them into community with God and with each other. Strangers and even enemies became a community of friends. And in so doing, it made them different than they would have been if left on their own. Um, and again, like I said last week, that bit about life together may be the most important part of this idea of friendship with God. A few years ago, Kim and I attended a banquet for one of our Wesley uh, Foundations, College Campus Ministries, and um, the director of the program, we heard from some of the students, the director of the ministry talked to us about their work with students on the campus, and um, in particular, reflected on the mental health crisis among uh, on college campuses and the loneliness experienced by so many young adults and um, one of the ways that they were trying to support students was they had simple way they just had a prayer box and students could write their prayer on a card and put it in the box and then there were others who were committed to praying over those prayers or reaching out if the student requested it and um, he recalled one, uh, one week emptying the box and going through the cards and opening one that read, Someone talk to me. Someone talk to me. That was the, the prayer. Someone talk to me. 
Let me know that I'm not invisible, that I matter. Maybe that I have a friend. Uh, in a world that seeks to divide and separate and isolate, where so much emphasis is placed on going it alone, being an individual, standing on your own two feet, that Jesus invites us to be friends, wants us to have companions for the journey, gives us brothers and sisters, not by biology, but by baptism. That is abundantly good news, folks. Um, in a world where authentic community and connections seem more and more lacking, it is good news that God reaches out and hopes that we'll reach back. It, it's actually news that can heal and save. God doesn't want any of us to be alone. We're made for friendship with God and one another. And when we're faithful to Jesus, our friend, the church becomes a place, as Jesus' body of friends, where everyone is welcome. Where no one puts in the box a prayer card that says, talk to me. Everyone knows they have a friend. When we pull back all the religious stuff that we've layered over our faith, uh, we realize that it's all a gift. We're not creating this thing called church or the Christian faith. It's a gift. It's a gift from the one who created us and who said, it is not good that they are alone, so I'm going to give them companions and friends. We were created for life with God and life with each other, to laugh and to celebrate and weep and mourn, to, to worship and serve together, to support each other, to love one another, to hold each other accountable at times, to speak the truth in love, even if the truth is hard to hear, to be in community, in friendship with one another, to be a witness to the world that there is a better way of being human and that there is a place for you there is a place for you, and it's here for anyone, everywhere, everyone, a seat at the table because of Jesus, who is, yes, Lord and King, and all of the other things we say about him, but who most assuredly is, thanks be to God, our friend. Amen.